Hello and welcome back to Spotlight on Women in Health Ventures, the podcast powered by Thea, a nonprofit dedicated to empowering women as entrepreneurs in healthcare. Dr. Nadine Hashasharam is a London-based consultant, plastic and reconstructive surgeon, and the founder of Proximy, a technology platform that allows clinicians to virtually scrub in to any operating room or cath lab from anywhere in the world. This augmented reality platform can allow health professionals to teach, train, and collaborate remotely, thus digitalizing a given surgeon's footprint and creating a borderless and inclusive operating room. Proximy is an award-winning technology recognized at the World Summit Awards for Health and Wellbeing and has been used in 20% of NHS hospitals in London during the COVID-19 pandemic. Proximy is currently in use in 35 countries and expanding with focuses on education and impact in developing countries. Of note, Dr. Nadine Hashash-Haram gave an internationally recognized TED Talk in 2018 entitled How Augmented Reality Could Change the Future of Surgery and shared Proximy with thousands of viewers. Thank you so much, Dr. Hashash-Haram, for joining us today. We are very excited to discuss your path and bringing and building Proximy. This has been game-changing from a perspective of democratizing surgical care, as you shared previously, over 5 billion people do not have adequate access to necessary surgical care. We would love to hear about your inspiration for starting Proximy. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And congratulations on the success you've had with Thea. It's really inspiring you know, to see a group of young women like yourselves really trying to drive the narrative. So I, I really applaud you. Um, my background, as, as most of you know, is surgery. I was a, uh, a trained as a reconstructive plastic surgeon. I still am a practicing surgeon. But in my time as a surgeon, over 10, 15 years plus, I was always very interested in also uh, looking at global health and trying to support global health, as well as being involved in you know, new training modalities. So during my time as a surgeon, I spent about 10 years involved in global health initiatives charities supporting work overseas in countries like Vietnam, South America, the Middle East, around some of the war zones, and trying to think about capacity building and sustainability in surgical care. At the same time, I spent about six or seven years working with some of the medical device companies thinking about how do we bring new products to the market? How do we train doctors and nurses and, and healthcare workers on these new devices in a way that ensures people get access to these devices as quickly and effectively as possible. And I think after about 14 years of doing that, you know, I still remember the day I was sitting in one of the operating rooms, I was taking a bit of a break on a footstool and I was looking around the operating room and just trying to think about the time I was spending traveling to different places, the impact I was having, but also a clear recognition that the OR is largely undigitized and not data-driven. I started to think back to, all the literature reviews that were showing high variation in care, inequality in access to care, inequality in outcomes. And I just thought to myself that, you know, these models that we've adopted of traveling and physical co-presence are not fit for scale for the future for what we need to try and bridge the gap of supply and demand and try and make sure that every patient really gets the best care the first time, every time. And so started to go on a journey of discovery to look at how innovation and technology and solutions could help. I'd seen some early demonstrations of things like Google Glass, 
I'd also become aware of things like Pokemon Go and others. And I started to think to myself, imagine that clinicians all around the world, simply by using a phone, a tablet, or a computer, could virtually scrub into an OR to share best practice, to deliver care to patients, to enable democratization of surgical care. And that was really where it started back in 2014. And if I'm honest, I wasn't really looking to set up a company. I it was more curiosity. I was trying to see how I could make impact. I was very personally driven by global impact. I wanted to leave a legacy. I wanted to make a difference. And after two years of developing and prototyping and testing, CNN caught wind of what we were doing and, and covered this as, could this be the future of surgery? And so I, I felt it was incumbent on me then to take this forward and really try and make this as globally scalable and accessible as possible. And that was how we started Proxime in late 2016. Very helpful and very inspiring to see that this idea was born out of the OR, born out of your surgical experiences, and now is impacting thousands, if not millions of people. We'd love to hear more about the logistics of company formation and how you went about building your team when you devised this idea. Could you walk us through kind of the moment you, you realized that there would need to be a technology built around this? What were your first steps as, I guess, the founder creator of this idea? Absolutely. And I think, you know, the point that you made earlier on, it's that clinical entrepreneurship and clinical innovation is so important because we have such intimate knowledge of the challenges because we face them firsthand. We understand the complexity. I mean, let's just be very real. I mean, healthcare is complex. It's heterogeneous. It's diverse in its process and its bureaucracies in different countries. Quite frankly, I think other countries have the opportunity to leapfrog some of the developed countries kind of complex systems today. And so having that firsthand experience and firsthand knowledge meant that we could shape and frame not only the product, but execution and, and implementation around it. And so early on, before setting up a company, it was more about, can this actually be done? Is this feasible? And so, you know, saved up some money and paid a, and a company that does technology development. I worked with them to develop the Proxime solution. And this was a very, very early prototype. And we reached out to some clinicians that we knew in Peru and Trujillo in California. And we worked to really help evaluate the feasibility and the scalability of this. And the results were phenomenal. I mean, we were able to show high you know, skill acquisition, effectiveness in decision-making, capacity building, and interaction and immersiveness, as well as safety around these products. By that point, as I mentioned earlier in 2016, when it became clear, I needed to get myself up to speed very quickly on what it means to put a pitch deck together. How do you register a company? How do you raise your first seed round? How do you recruit and hire a team around you? But I followed a number of key principles. First is recognizing the things that I knew I was good at and the value, you know, the passion, the drive, the desire, the understanding, the intimate knowledge and the vision but also recognizing where I needed to surround myself by phenomenal people. Get advice from individuals who had done this before or who understand business side of it. And so I was very lucky, of course, my husband comes from the financial industry, spent a lot of time kind of coaching me and working through a pitch deck, a financial model, registration and fundraising. And so I did that in 2016 and raised my first seed round of about $2 million. 
And at that point, it was critical for me to surround myself with just outstanding individuals, but individuals that were mission-driven as I was. And so very early on, brought some great engineers, product leads, clinical evaluators, marketing team to come together. And we grew to a team of about 10 to 15 people in the first 18 months, but a very intimate team focused on ensuring we can democratize access and deliver quality of care to patients. Since then, of course, we wanted to really focus on human stories and impact. And I think that has been a really strong message from Proxima that we understand inherently, yes, it's about technology and technology stack, but more, it's much more important than that. It's about patients. It's about patient outcomes, patient access, care delivery. It's about surgeons and empowering them and, and enabling them to collaborate. The only other thing I would say is, you know, it's being not afraid to ask for help, for advice. So I spent a lot of 2017 reaching out to people. Can I get 10 minutes of your time? I'd love to pick your brains on this, both from, you know, industry titans, from other founders of companies and understanding their pain points to clinicians, to technologists and others. So it's about being willing to be also vulnerable and share where you might have gaps and where you need to learn that uh, and be willing to learn and absorb it all. But it's also about maintaining a true North Star, a mission of what you want to achieve. And I think everything falls into place at that point as, as it has so far. Thank you for that very comprehensive answer. I think, you know, one of the points you raised was this idea of clinician-driven entrepreneurship. And I think it's it's amazing to see a surgeon who spotted a problem and was able to translate and bring uh, folks into the fray of, of really building a solution that was self-sustaining. I'd like to hear about your thoughts on this balance of performing surgery, ensuring clinical care and patient care for your patients, but also being at the helm of this organization. How does it work? And Tell us more about your day-to-day in balancing these two acts. Sure. I mean, when Proxima was being created and set up, I was still a trainee, a trainee surgeon, finishing off my fellowships and, and my kind of last years of training. So it was quite a juggle at the time, trying to do it around your time off, your post on call days, and trying to balance that with three kids as well was really uh, quite a feat. But it became clear to me as I was moving towards kind of completing and becoming a consultant, as they call them here, you know, a senior surgeon in the department, that I wanted to be able to drive both. So I changed my clinical practice to a reduced clinical practice where I'm spending four, five, six days a month clinically with patients operating, seeing them in clinic, and then spending the rest of the time working on proximity to try and scale it. In that hat, I'm also the clinical lead for Uh, innovation at my hospital, being an ambassador, being able to demonstrate that many more people like me should exist, clinical entrepreneurs that are driving innovation from the front line. And it's a balance, but I would call it more of a portfolio career. And my summary to that would be that if you are interested in leveraging both your clinical practice, as well as the ability to make impact beyond your day-to-day practice, that it is okay and it is doable. And having, you know, in the same way that you have academic surgeons who spend half their time in clinical practice and the other half in, in the research lab or surgeons who are involved in hospital management. This is a similar and yet different approach. Actually being involved in entrepreneurship and innovation is key. And I'm not the only person to have done this. There are many, many others like me who have done this. And for me personally, what drives me is that I can spend time clinically 
but also touch many more lives beyond the four walls of my hospital. But, but I think, you know, any, any permutation of that, if you think works for you, you know, you should be willing to take on board. I totally agree with you. And, you know, personally, I'm really interested in the role of plastic surgeons as entrepreneurs and have done several projects surrounding the topic as that have revealed that a lot of plastic surgeons are involved in ventures, but typically in more advisory board roles, as opposed to founders or CEOs. And as a plastic surgeon, the specialty is limitless and, and sort of is kind of coined as the specialty of innovation and and it's, it's just entrepreneurial in mindset. And I think this is a good segue into talking about the technology itself. So Proxmi is an augmented reality platform that allows physicians and students to connect and collaborate no matter where they are. But I think it would be helpful if you could provide a short rundown of the technology's capabilities and the types of users that are involved. Sure. So in a nutshell, Proxime is a software-based company. We are a software solution. We are web and app-based. And simply by having your own login details, you go to my.proxime.com and you're able to invite surgeons and clinicians and learners into cases with you. In the operating room, all you really need is access to a camera and a screen. These could be cameras that are already built into the operating room, or it could be as simple as a webcam that you kind of attach uh, in the OR to stream that view. We can also take feeds from any robotic, laparoscopic, interventional imaging device in that OR to stream it. Well, the beauty of Proxime is that it has a very highly optimized communication architecture that allows you to stream up to four high-definition feeds from any setting so that you get a real situational awareness of what's going on in the OR. So we can invite many people. They can flip between different views and they can see what's going on and hear and listen with ultra low latency. So less than 200 milliseconds on very kind of average bandwidth, because I recognize that in hospitals, you don't really have great internet. The second bit of the technology is the immersiveness, the augmented reality. As you know, surgery is very illustrative, demonstrative. It's not enough to just talk about what you want to do or suggest to do, but actually to be able to show, to virtually reach in with your hand and have your hand appear on the screen in the OR to collaborate, to share, to demonstrate, make a cut here, or move a bit further left, look at this plane, I would go deeper to this plane, et cetera. That kind of immersive engagement, overlaying anatomical landmarks and images and scans really makes this fit for surgery. Because if telehealth was the solution, it would have taken off in the OR years ago, but it's always been missing that kind of immersive element. And the final bit of the technology is that every single case or interaction is tagged and stored in a library. So you can come back and review performance, invite other surgeons to dial into that case and replay it like a live case and get feedback. And the reason that the, the software was designed this way was because I recognized that in order for us to really digitize the operating room, it's about moving from a see one, do one, teach one to a prepare, perform, perfect model where there's a continuum that's completely digitized, whether you're watching to learn, whether you're coaching someone through a case, or whether you're reviewing the case post, you know, post review, that is all digitized in one platform. And so you create a continuum that means that your user could be a user for 40, 50 years, whether you're a first year medical student or a senior surgeon at the top of your game. And in terms of devices, if you're sitting remotely, you can use any device, you know, your phone, your computer, your tablet, 
and you can dial in and be part of that journey. So we have a lot of doctors that may be on the wards or in clinics that can be able to dip in and see what's happening in cases and engage and interact. Wow. It's, it's, so it's very clear that you and your team really understood the needs at every step of the way. How were you able to build buy-in from hospitals and other surgeons and health systems to, to use this technology? The key that I always tell my team is every time someone uses Proximy, they have to have the most beautiful experience. You know, at the end of the day, you can go to management and other parts of a hospital, but if a surgeon doesn't want to use it, you can't force them to use it. So the key is to make sure that your end user wants to use it and that patients are wanting to have engagement with it as well. And so we spend a lot of time talking to surgical societies and associations, speaking with surgeons directly and recognizing that they can be our biggest champions for it. And we have so many fantastic surgeon champions that are advocates for Proximy and go out then to their networks and encourage them to use it. There was a book I read a few years ago called Crossing the Chasm, which really kind of makes you think about groups and how you can influence groups and behavior. Because this is really not about technology, but it's about behavior change. And so I would recommend you guys read that book because it really helps you distinguish different behavior types and how you need to be patient with some groups and accept early adoption by other groups and how you drive that product adoption across a period of time. Proximy has been very successful and has grown over the past few years. And I'm sure that maybe you've heard some success stories or are there any like publications that have come out from the technology? It'd be helpful to hear how the, maybe those that were resistant to adopt it at first have adopted it and how that has changed their practice. At the end of the day, it's about value. So when we've gone out to doctors who have used it, it's because there's a need. You're solving a problem for them. Just telling people to use technology for the sake of it. They might use it once or twice, but it's not something they're going to use all the time. And so for us, it's always been about creating value, bridging a gap, supporting training, supporting collaboration, supporting the delivery of care. And so when you're really there solving a problem, you don't have to do anything. They will adopt it themselves. They only have to see it. And we have so many examples of doctors who have just seen it once. And suddenly they're pitching to us all the great ideas of how this could help them, the challenges mm -hmm. that they have in delivering care to six hospitals that are within their hospital group or patients in community hospitals that don't have access to the same expertise as big teaching hospitals? And how do you maintain quality, reduce variation, improve outcomes? So my answer always to this is make sure you're actually a solution that's solving a problem, not a solution looking to fit into a problem. So it's always asking what, what's the problem, define the problem and how can we solve it? So with the technology itself, it's very much requires somewhat of an expertise in product design and the nuances of computer science, et cetera, that I am not well-versed in. And I'm not sure if you have like a background in tech, but what was it like building the, the technology and starting the company and not necessarily having a expansive technical foundation? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. I think at the end of the day, I recognized early on the skills that I had, but also the skills that I didn't, but I knew what I wanted it to do. So rather than focusing deep into what technology will create this feature or that feature, what you do is you hire great product and design teams and you tell them, this is my problem. How can we solve it? And then these product and design teams will be able to find the best route to that. And so rather than trying to say, oh, I'd like this feature and that feature and that feature, come to the product and engineering team with a problem that needs solving and let them be creative and let them come up with the solutions that will best solve for that. 
And it's a, it's a different mindset, particularly as surgeons, we like to understand and control all the nuances of everything. So it's a different way of working, but right. it's, uh, it's very liberating as well. Yeah. And clearly you've found the right people that have the creative juices and the technical knowledge to carry out the shared vision. How does the technology ensure privacy and patient confidentiality? I imagine that you want to preserve that. 100%. I mean, we are fully HIPAA and GDPR compliant. GDPR is quite stringent compliance that we have here in EU and, and more globally. So we don't store any PHI. We are fully kind of stress tested quite regularly by many of our clients, including the UK military that selected Proximy over many other companies. We take data and data security very seriously. And we've put a lot of team behind that as well. So it's a really important part of what we do. I want to shift a little bit purely from the technology itself, but more thinking about its business model and how you've been able to scale. And so could you briefly touch on what Proximy's business model is today? Sure. So Proximy's business model is, is very simple. It's a licensing model. So we license to device companies, to hospitals, to societies to deliver value for them. We don't license it per person. We license it per number of cases because we want to engage and encourage as many people to participate. And it's put us in a good position to scale rapidly and work alongside our partners to deliver value that they need for their business too. Because, you know, that way our incentives are aligned. Mm -hmm. And how do you ensure that this product is accessible to the developing world? Yeah, we've actually got a director of global health in our business. We work with a number of key organizations globally, NGOs and others, to make sure that we can deliver work in Kenya and Benin in the Middle East and in parts of the world. And we have a number of initiatives uh, and actually some MPH and master students working with us to deliver on that. So again, if people in your network are interested, they should reach out to us. Mm-hmm. With that, it's very much a subsidized model. We, we raise funding, we apply for grant funding to try and give them access. It's very important for me that everyone has access to this technology. We don't limit it only to sort of the, the corporates. Right, right. 100%. I mean, that it's really what drove you to found Proximy to begin with. And what is your secret to scalability? I think that's an issue for, for any company, regardless of, of industry. And Proximy is available and is now in over 30, 35 countries. So how, how are you able to accomplish this? The key goes back to kind of execution focus. Very early on when we designed this, our thinking was, how do we make sure that we can deploy this rapidly and in many countries? You know, if a technology is going to take nine months to deploy in a hospital, that's not really going to scale. And so we've focused a lot on our documentation, our implementation process, the user journey, the customer journey. And it's why we can get Proximy now in hospitals in around two weeks on average anywhere in the world. And we've deployed in countries that we've never been to because it's designed very much with this ease of use, ease of execution and simple deployment. And so we've done, as I said, many cases in APAC and Africa, in the Middle East and Europe and the US and LATAM, all with the small team. We were about 35 people for most of last year and then rapidly scaled to about 70 people now. Thanks for sharing that. And you know, beyond scalability, I think it's really important to think about other potential end users. And I'm sure you guys have been all over this with this kind of rampant virtual education movement. But I'd love to hear about how Proximy sort of fits that resident education, surgical education mold, and also this idea of the revised and new normal of even virtual medical missions. 
as far as use cases for Proxime. I think you're spot on there. And we've seen a lot of interest over the last 12 months in education. When we think about medical students getting access to the operating room, residents, trainees, interns, those opportunities that were there before, they're more limited. There's more students. We need to get more people trained up. And so we're doing a lot of work with you know, surgical societies, groups like SAGES, groups like ACID in the UK to try and help change the paradigm. And we're very keen and we'll be expanding a lot more and working with residency programs to deliver that. What we really need from that point of view is the champions, the medical students coming to their medical schools and saying, we'd love to trial a new way of doing things. And so if people within your network are interested, please have them reach out to us because we're getting a lot of interest across the States and we'd love to work closely with medical students to co-design and co-develop this because ultimately this is for them. Another question I had surrounded the relationship with device representatives, especially in, you know, craniofacial surgery, but any, you know, surgical specialty that relies on implants or prosthetics or nerve grafts, the representative is often in the OR. So it would be interesting to hear about your approach to involving industry companies as, you know, these experts are giving very important information on the usability of their solution. What's interesting is just remembering that there is in the OR a trifecta, right? A trifecta of medical device companies, surgeons, and the hospital and the patient that's delivering care to that patient. And so there is very much an intertwining of those relationships. Medical device companies also play an important role in addressing education, trying to bring new devices to the market, trying to impact and hopefully improve patient care. We have to work together to make sure that these devices are being used at the right time for the right patient with the right skill set, and that people are not just having a go with them, but actually adopting them, scaling them, and using them effectively. So we see ourselves very much as a group that's empowering and supporting that relationship across the multiple stakeholders. And so we work with the device companies to help them scale access to their professional education programs or scale R&D opportunities because they can actually get visibility on how these devices are being used or support in sales and marketing. And I think that relationship has always been very intimate across the, the three groups. Craniofacial is an example when we're thinking about you know, facial plating systems and 3D modeling and 3D reconstructions. On the Proxima solution, you can actually take a 3D DICOM file, bring it into the field and start to look at it as you're proceeding through an operation. So you're integrating and bringing all that knowledge together. That's amazing and super helpful. I'm glad we, we discussed that because I think that's often taken for granted. And I could only imagine it's sort of unlocking an entirely new use case, but would be a great advantage and benefit to a surgical team if, if it was streamlined in the way it is at Proxime. I'd like to shift the conversation to more of kind of discussion of the implications of augmented reality and these types of technologies in healthcare. Proxime has been amazing in really democratizing surgical care, digitizing the operating room and, you know, revolutionizing education. But, you know, as someone who's well-versed in this technology and the creator of, of such a great company, do you see any hesitancies in the use of augmented reality in surgery? You know, just to point out a few initial thoughts, liability or kind of the impact on the physician-patient relationship or 
you know, how to manage conflicting opinions if so many surgeons are perhaps weighing in on a given case? Yeah, really good questions. I mean, AR in, in the OR is still, you know, in its early stages. We're seeing some great results from it, and there's a lot more to come from it. It's about visualization. It's about bringing knowledge to the forefront of kind of the operating table. I think historically there was a lot of push around headsets and wearables and hardware around AR. And, you know, it's going to be really exciting to see how these develop. I think they're still in their early phases, but there's still a lot more work to go to make these really easy to use across the user base, which is why we decided we didn't want to be limited to a single hardware piece, but make it accessible to everyone with different devices. I'm really looking forward to seeing how that continues to develop. The second bit around liability is a very good question. This is ultimately about building trust. These solutions have to be about trust building. And so what we work on very much is making very, very clear the terms of engagement. And so every user who uses Proxime signs a EULA, an end user license agreement at the beginning that says that we're just facilitating a conversation here. At the end of the day, the person or the doctor or nurse specialist or whoever's hands are on the patient is responsible for the patient. It's continuing to do what we've always done in surgery. We've always had the odd case where, you know, you'll call a friend, right? You'll call a colleague or even, you know, share it by email and get some pre-op discussion around it in an MDT. What Proxima is enabling is that discussion to continue into the operating room, to collaborate, to share best practice. But you as the surgeon whose hands are on on the patient have to be comfortable doing that. Otherwise, you should be referring them on. So we're not trying to ever advocate that someone who's not comfortable with the procedure or not done that before really just walk in and have a go. So the terms of engagement are very clear and the medical legal framework around it are safe so that people feel comfortable using it. And it's why we've managed to grow so rapidly. We did about six, 7,000 cases last year on the platform. Amazing. I'm sure that's just on top of your mind as well as that of your teams, because it's just super, super important, especially from a healthcare perspective and this need to build trust and buy-in by not only the healthcare purchasers, but also the surgeons themselves. First, I want to thank you so much, Dr. Hishashram, for spending time and sharing your story. I personally have learned so much as someone who's not as well-versed in the surgical field and is still exploring specialties. You certainly have inspired me, and I think that's one of your missions as well. So as we conclude this conversation, I would like to just hear what your visions are for the future, and especially as it pertains for Proxmi, like what we can expect from the company this year. I mean, first of all, I would love to see more groups like yours really impacting and changing behaviors and encouraging people to think about entrepreneurship, think about clinical change and paradigm shifts that we need to have in practice and encouraging more women to take on these roles. So very happy to continue to support. And I hope we see more, more results as time goes on. In terms of Proxime, you know, my mission continues to be that every operating room should have access to this solution. Every surgeon, every patient, every OR should be digitized to deliver that best care to everyone. And so we will continue to work very hard with surgical societies, medical students, residency programs, hospital systems, doctors, NGOs and others to make sure that we continue on that mission. And hopefully, you know, at some point, 300 million operations, 30 million operations that happen every year, we can start to create a digital footprint that can enable us to be more data-driven, more effective and, and more holistic and inclusive.
Thank you all for listening. Visit us on Instagram at Thea Healthcare, on Twitter at ThiaHC, and on our website at ThiaHC.org for more content. As always, feel free to reach out via DM or our website's contact form with any questions or comments for us or our guests. Special thanks to our amazing audio editors, Ellie Park and Asim Jane. If you're enjoying our content, please consider supporting our podcast by donating at anchor.fm slash thea-hc slash support.